0: This morning's reading is Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tasted those who call themselves apostles and are not Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the ones who conquer, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God.
1: Thank you, Heidi, so much for reading. The Bible teaches us, and we opened our service with the fact that God is an everlasting God, that he's powerful, that he's wise, that he's good. And the fact that he is powerful, wise, and good, it doesn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise anybody that he breaks through and shows his strength. On a regular basis, we will be able to see things that remind us he is strong, he is capable, he is in charge. And so that's every day. That's all the time, and yet there are those moments, and we're spending some time thinking about some of those moments where God does, yes, what he always does, but then above and beyond. We have a verse that we really focused our attention on in Ephesians 3 that really highlights this above and beyond nature of what God does. It's said this way in Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do Above and beyond, this is God, not not us, but he's doing above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Above and beyond. So this is our series and last week we introduced exciting news that I really see as coming from God in something that I totally didn't expect, but something that God is just showing himself, even this week talking with Chris and talking with Wayne, seeing how God is showing himself above and beyond doing some things that like, you, you just don't have categories for, except for you know this is the way God works, this is the way God operates. We looked into the future and we're praying and we're hoping, we're saying, God, we believe you're doing some things that are above and beyond, and yet this week I want to go in a different direction, but I also think it's important. If last week is like a call for us to look forward and say, God, we look forward to you doing above and beyond, I want us today, yes, to look forward, but maybe even a little bit more so to look presently what's going on as well as look at what we have been through and remind ourselves in those things that God is doing above and beyond. Can I bring you into some conversations that I've had? And I'm not going to break any confidences, but my guess is the conversations I've had are probably very similar to conversations that you've had, especially over the last few few weeks, months, several months now. It's interesting, I I think about talking to a person, uh, a good friend, and asking them how they're doing, and the answer, I feel like people are uh, more honest with those answers now. Because the, the answer I got, and it certainly wasn't a complaint or someone whining. It was, ah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. And I know they're being as honest as possible when they also could add, they were going through some very, very difficult things, family situations. Family situations that kind of you put your head on the pillow and they're not resolved. And there's no promise they're going to be resolved the next day or the next day or the next day other conversations that I'm reminded of, it's conversations I've had with people that have had a pretty difficult season in the lockdown, in the quarantine, where maybe they're single and the loneliness is really, really beginning to grip them. And I hear them say, "How, how how are you doing? How's it going? And I hear them say, like, I'm pressing through, but it's been tough. It's been tough. I think of some friends, some people very, very close to me that have experienced deep, deep grief. Extreme loss. And I ask them, like, how are you doing? And you hear, it's kind of one day at a time. And that's not a cliche for them. It's the reality of how things are going. And one minute they may feel like, okay, I've finally got a grip on things. And the next minute it just all unwinds. And then back to having a grip. And then all, and this is a regular basis. I talk to other friends, actually from a lot of people, and you just kind of get the, how how's it going? And it's like, well, I'm hanging in there. So there's not any great boast of progress. It's just like, I, I'm hanging it. I'm I'm hanging in there. And then I think particularly of a conversation I had with a friend not too long ago, a good friend, and this has been a difficult season for them, especially in light of just where they work and how all the complexities that this is invited into, this whole season has invited into their work. And it's actually more uninvited, but what they're having to deal with. And I remember talking to this friend and he said, Curtis, I'm having to work hard at hard at not paying attention to this source and, and scrolling and, and listening and reading because all it will do is get me so uptight and angry and frustrated. And I find it just is taking its toll on my soul, and I have to actually fight hard not to let my heart go to places where I'm just very, very angry. These people that I'm describing, and maybe this is you, these aren't, these aren't people filled with complaints, but these are people filled with weariness, and I think that's where many of us are. We're, we're tired, and there are things that should seem very, very easy, but like they still seem very difficult. There are things that we should be able to do without thinking. And now we're not doing them without thinking. You have to think about every single thing. And that begins to have a a wearying effect. And you couple that with at a moment's notice, you could be dealing with changes and challenges that like, well, I guess the next 10 days change for me. Or someone close to me. And then you couple that with just the regular pains and family difficulties and all the other issues we bring to the table and you recognize where things are, it's hard to imagine someone without some pretty major major concerns, some significant concerns in their life. And if it seems like that to you, then I think you're probably in good company. If you're saying, that doesn't sound anything like where I'm living, well then you're probably in the 2% maybe, 5% to which we're all grateful for you. But I think most of us are feeling at times like I'm... I'm kind of just hanging on, which is tough because internally we're sold a narrative where uh, you you need to be doing more than hanging on. You ought to be thriving. Like we listen to people that are amazing singers and we go like, man, they, they can impress the world with that or people that have this strength and they're changing the world while all I seem to be doing is hanging on. All I seem to be doing is one day at a time trying to hang in there. All I seem to be doing is like, okay or all right. And so here's the question that I want us to spend some time thinking about today. And that is, what if for a season, what if you're just enduring? Is that okay? If, if you just endure, hang in there, hang on. Is that okay? What if as a church, I mean, I certainly have big desires for our church and big prayers for our church. But what if we're a season, what we're doing is we're enduring. Is that okay? And how does that even correspond with the series that I'm talking about, Above and Beyond? I mean, there's enduring, but how could that be even remotely attached to Above and Beyond? I want, I want us to connect some of that today. Enduring with Above and Beyond. And I want to walk you through those connections. The passage that Heidi read is actually, it's interesting. It's one of those passages in Scripture in Revelation 2, Revelation 3. It tells us that Jesus, through John, through the Holy Spirit, specifically addresses churches in what is now Turkey, a major, major cities in the Roman Empire. And he addresses them very, very specifically. It's an interesting passage. And what's amazing to me is even as Jesus is addressing a church that's literally on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago, it's like there's all kinds of resonance. I'm not saying it's one-for-one one correspondence that everything that was happening in Ephesus, the church that was particularly addressed that we're reading about as exact one-for-one correspondence with Ogletown in Newark, but there, there are so many things where it's like impossible to dismiss all the different ways like, man, that sounds like what we need to hear. That sounds like what we need to hear, which makes sense because we are the body of Christ. We still have the same chief shepherd, Jesus, and he still is building his church, whether it be in ancient Roman Empire or in Newark, Delaware. The first church that Jesus addresses is the church at Ephesus. And in that, and I hope you like, keep your Bibles open if you have a copy of God's Word. Because there's a word that comes up, and actually it's a theme that comes up a few times in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 2. And that is this theme of endurance. Endurance. Some translations will say you patiently endured or you endured patiently Some are going to say you patiently suffered. Others are going to, other translations, and I know there's a variety in the room. Others are going to say you persevered or you have persisted. Or there's there's some sense of continuing steadfastly. So there's perseverance, all all these synonyms, steadfastness, patience, fortitude. If there's a definition that comes really from this uh, original word of endurance or patient endurance, it would be this. Endurance is... And I want us to get this. It's the capacity to hold out. And similarly, it's the capacity to bear up in the face of difficulty. The capacity to hold out and to bear up in the face of difficulty. To hold out. Like endurance. And in my mind, endurance goes a lot with athletics, particularly running. Like you try to build your endurance. So you keep running. You hold out. Or you maybe keep fighting. Or maybe... In the Christian context, you keep loving or you keep giving. You keep doing it. You, you don't give up. Despite the weariness, despite the obstacles, you keep going. You hold out. But you also bear up. And so that's a little bit different word picture, but it's so much related. So it's not only that you hold out, you keep doing things, but you bear up. And that, my mind, I mean, I immediately, when I hear that word, I think of pressure coming on you. Maybe it's emotional pressure or society pressure, culture pressure maybe in physical, your, your body, and things are happening there. And what does it mean to bear up in the face of difficulty? It means you don't move and you don't crumble and you don't quit and you don't tap out even when the pressure seems to build. That's endurance. So let's listen again to what it sounds like when a ch- church, a group of believers, endures. In verse 2 and verse 3, let's hear it again. Jesus speaking from a place of like Complete authority says, I know your works. And do you hear the words of endurance here? I know your toil, and I know your patient endurance. And while you're bearing up some things, some things you don't bear as a sign of your endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. I know, Jesus says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, which I don't think means they haven't grown tired at all. I think what it's saying is you haven't given up, you haven't quit, you are holding out, you're bearing up. We don't, we're not brought into the details of exactly what was so difficult in Ephesus. And I think that's actually, like, partly I want to know, like, what was particularly challenging for them. But in some ways, I think it's maybe more helpful that we don't know, because the fact that we don't know means. If I knew exactly like, oh, well, they were going through that, but we're going through this, and I I could maybe go, maybe this doesn't apply as much, but when I go, okay, this is a body of believers going through some difficult things, going through some hard things, it definitely makes me realize there is a word for us in here. Could it be that people in the congregation in Ephesus were going through times of isolation? Could it be, you think there were plagues in the Roman Empire? that could just wreak havoc on a city, I think possibly, a major city like Ephesus where a lot of people were coming and going? Do you think it could be in Ephesus that it was hard and growing increasingly more difficult to walk with Jesus? Could it be there were natural disasters? Could it be there were just pains of life that began to accumulate? And it's like, if I have one more thing, okay, there's one more thing. Okay, if I have one more thing, it's like, could it be? I think so. I don't think that's reading too much into that. Not only were they experiencing tough times, but they were dealing with the hard work of like Christianity and churches should be very, very welcoming. At the same time, it's like, but there are evil people in this world and there are people with evil designs and maybe they don't even know they're being used by Satan to do. I mean, and what do we do with that and how do we welcome? But also, we're on guard. We recognize. The enemy has a plan, and he doesn't certainly doesn't want our church thriving and helping to invest in a new church. I mean, he would love to kill, destroy all of that. So, what do we do? And then, and there's also this church has stayed strong even though, like, someone comes to town in, in ancient Ephesus with like saying, "I'm an apostle. I'm sent from God." And then they teach, and something doesn't sound right, and they go, "That doesn't sound like what we've we know to be true." And so we can't listen to that. We can't afford to like hitched to something that's going to take us down the wrong path. So we're going to stand strong on the truth. They hung on. They endured. They bared up under all of this. We need that word because what Jesus is talking about, to do this, to endure, is not easy. It's hard work. Can I just walk walk us through even a little bit of what the hard work entails and the hard work involves, and maybe some of this will resonate. It is hard work to serve others, especially when they don't like, even seem to notice or appreciate our service. It's much easier to become selfish and cynical, going, what's the use? They don't care. They didn't even say thanks. They don't even appreciate what I'm trying to do. It's hard work to show restraint and show grace Listen, it's much easier to, like, not restrain yourself and just go, you know what, since you said that, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get this off my chest because this has been bothering me for a while, and I think everybody in the world needs to know it. So here we go. That's so much easier. But to be in conversations where you hear differences of opinion and difficulty, and to show grace and to show restraint and not level people, and not, not just, like, give full vent to your spirit, that is hard work. That takes... It takes its toll over time to, for a church to keep our focus outward and not just like turn inward and say, who cares about anybody else? We're just going to take care of our own. To keep that focus outward takes hard work to pursue community. It's much easier to like, especially in this season, is it not? It's much easier to just like, let the garage door go down, shut the door, and not really worry about any sort of relationships. I mean, we know we need them, but it's like just easy. It's hard work to even think through what is community supposed to look like when you have to think through all these mechanical things and deferential and things. What is it supposed to look like? It's hard work to... It's hard work to figure out how to thread the needle to serve, to serve each other at our church. It's easy to just like... Everybody should go along with my opinion. That's easy. It's harder when, oh, there are hundreds of people with different opinions. And some of those are held pretty strongly. And these are brothers and sisters. These are people that Jesus died for. And so how do I work for the common good with them when we see things and have experienced things very differently? How do we stay united when it's frankly easier to just like splinter or withdraw and say, what's the use? I'm tired of being with, around people that aren't like me and don't think like me. I don't, I don't want to be challenged. I just want to be confirmed in my opinions. So shouldn't I just be around those people all the time? It's much easier. It's hard work to keep putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. It's much easier to play to relief or comfort and not put yourself in a place where like, yeah, that it's not the most comfortable place, but I'm willing to go there. It's not the most comfortable conversation. It's, it has the potential of being challenging and difficult. I may have to like carry the heavy end of the conversation, but I'm willing to go there because I care about who God is bringing into my life. It's hard work to deal with feelings of pain and loss, to actually deal with it. It's, it's easy to numb it with your substance or your choice there. And just go, you know, I can't even think about it, so I'm just going just gonna to check out from everything. It's hard work to go through it all and not become bitter and angry. It's hard work to keep fighting and walking a path where you say, Jesus, I want to obey you. And yet you see others fall away. Sometimes high-profile people fall away. It's hard work to say, I'm going to stay on this path. It's hard work to focus on Jesus when everything in the world is calling on you to be frustrated with everything in the world. And at the end of the day go, my goodness, I've been ramped up to like, not just on, on a scale 1 to 10, I've been ramped up to like a 15 all day long. And I've had no interaction with the one who took nails for me. That's become meaningless because everything else that the world says I've got to care about seems like, oh, I've got I to get like ramped up and worked up about this. So for this morning, what I want to do is hold out hope that God can do something through your patient endurance that actually may be above and beyond what you can imagine right now. That the Lord might renew your strength to endure. I'm so grateful for Wayne reading the passage that he did, which, like, I mean, how amazing is it? Like, I will uphold you with my right hand, and if that image isn't, isn't enough for you, I'm going to hold your right hand. I mean, just how, how else can God say this? Where when you're out of strength, he will renew our strength. But in this passage particularly in Revelation 2 I want you to see it not just cuz I say it but I want you to see it some help that will actually maybe give you give me some fuel for endurance The the first way I see that help coming is in this It's a reminder that we need to remember that Jesus knows what has happened and what is happening You're struggling with endurance Feels like, that's not a full tank, like you're, you're checking, you know, check gas, like refill your fuel soon, like that lights on. Okay, remember that Jesus knows what has happened and what is happening. I think that's the picture that, I mean, Revelation has all these symbols and references, some of which are pretty easy to understand, a lot of which are complicated to understand. Revelation 2, though, it speaks of Jesus as being the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, And it also says the picture of the church is the golden lampstands, and it says Jesus walks among the golden lampstands. What what that's communicating is actually a a pretty simple concept, and that is that Jesus does have all authority. It's all in his hand, and he is walking around the churches. He is actively aware of what's going on. He knows what has happened. He knows what is happening. He assures us he knows because in verse 2, it starts this way, I know. And in verse 3, it starts this way. I know. He's aware. I know. I see all that you're trying to do. I know. I see when the world pushes hard in this direction. I see you trying to hold on to your faith. I see it. I know it. I'm aware of it. I see how faithful you're trying to be. You hear that, and you kind of think, well, Lord, if you see it, then just make it easier. Make it all go away. Like, if you see it, make it all better. So, Curtis, you're telling me that Jesus knows what's happened and is happening, but that presents a problem if He knows and He's not changing it and making it a little bit easier and a little bit more manageable for me. And all I can say to that is I recognize the complexities of that, but could it be Could it be as you want him to turn down the heat, turn down the pressure? Could it be like a really good, maybe an analogy, like a, a really good coach that, like you're running these intervals, you're running these wind sprints, and it's like, I need you to run one more so that you can endure in the fourth quarter or the second half. I need you to run one more. But it's so that you will be able to endure. It's not trying to crush you. It's trying to build strength so that you can endure. Maybe that helps you, or maybe you think of a good physical therapist. That you deal with the pain of, a, of trying to get better, but you realize what they're trying to do is help your body heal and regain strength. And in the moment, it feels very painful, even what they're asking you to do or the pressure they're applying. But you know, in the end, this is actually, this is actually going to help and heal. There's good designs here or maybe as a teacher, really wants their students to grow in understanding and knowledge, not just for knowledge sake, but because like you're going to need to know this. It will help you process the world if you know this. And so while you may have wanted to tap out in first grade and go, I think I've learned all I need to know. The teacher that says, I think, let's keep pushing. Let's keep learning. There's something that could help here or maybe as a good parent, is sometimes having to watch their child go through difficult things because they want them to mature. They want them to grow, and they know the only way through this is not relieving it, that actually having, having their child walk through. What I, what I have to remember is Jesus knows what has happened and is happening. He's not absentee. It's not as if. He's just kind of sending his child support, but really checked out of the whole situation. No, this is Jesus who says, I know because I'm walking right here among you. I know what's going on. And part of enduring is remembering that Jesus knows what's going on. But I also want you to see something else, kind of part of that affirmation, because in verse 3, it says, Jesus says, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up. But notice that next phrase. I I know that. I see that. but, But I also know why you're doing it. And this is so, I mean, I'm so grateful for Jesus calling that to attention. You are bearing up and holding out for my name's sake. That's why you're doing this. For my name's sake. So it speaks to another motivation. Remember, remember Jesus' name, his glory, was our motivation to begin with. Like this is going to help us endure when we feel like we're out of gas. To remember that Jesus' name was our motivation to begin with. It's always been and always will be about Jesus. Our lives are always meant first and foremost for him. He was there at the beginning. He will be with us at the end. When you encounter Jesus, like in the description in Revelation 1, it even helps you appreciate like, okay, yeah, this is for him. It's Revelation 1 As Jesus is being introduced into the book of Revelation, John writes this that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the one who always tells the truth. He's the firstborn of the dead, paving the way for us to rise from the dead as well. He's the ruler of the kings on earth. And He is the one who loves us. His name, it was what it was always to begin with. He's the one who has freed us from our sins by His blood made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. He loves me. Once I encounter that love, the reminder here is endurance is always about his name anyway. That's what it's always been about. My life isn't my own. Through ruling the world and through dying on a cross in love, he has earned every right to call all the shots in my life he's earned that he's able to be trusted to do that and it's about him always i was trying to describe this to a friend this week a a friend who's kind of seriously wrestling and i I so appreciate like bringing a ton of honest questions to like what does it mean to have a relationship with jesus and i was trying to tell him like there are these sets of there's a set of core beliefs surely about christianity and we get those from God's word, and through the words of Jesus. And He taught us, He instructed us, and so we hold those true because we, because we love Jesus, we hold on to these truths. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything less about Jesus. I'm not going to try to correct Jesus and go, I think you got. I mean, like no, no, because He said it. I'm, it's His name that I really want to see glorified in the end. So there's these beliefs, and certainly there's a, a lifestyle and values and, and practices like. He gave us the way we're supposed to live. And I I don't have any motivation to try to edit Jesus. To go, well, 2021, we figured out some things. So, Jesus, I think you need some correcting here. Because in our infinite wisdom, we figured out you got it right. I mean, are, are are we seriously wanting to correct Jesus on that? We're not. So, I go, Jesus, I will live the way you tell me to live. And not try to bend you. I will bend my knee to what you have to say But with the core beliefs and with the character and values of the life of Christ, there's something more, and that's a personal relationship. So it is the beliefs, and it is the values, and it is a personal relationship. I have a confidence that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is for me. And then I come into a setting like this where we sing, All I Have is Christ. We could easily change the pronoun to all we have. It's all we have. It was finished on that cross for all of us. Because of that I don't have to walk alone. And I know your experience with Jesus is it's going to be different than mine. Your story is going to have a different starting point. I mean, it's going to have different places. I understand that. But we come together with this personal relationship. So why would I endure? Why would I hold out and bear up for Jesus? For his name. So that somehow, even though it's going to be challenging and flawed, somehow in my life, it's going to say, you want to see what Jesus, is, Jesus looks like? Well, in a broken, flawed way, you're going to see it through the lives of his followers. You're going to see it. That's what we want. That's all we've wanted. That's what we want. At Ogletown, that's what we want. In Newark, that's what we want. In Middletown, that's what we want in all over Delaware. That's what, that's what we want in the Philippines, and that's what we want in East Asia. That's what we have a hunger for is his name, his name, his name. Remember, Jesus knows what's going on. Remember, this was all about him from the beginning anyway. Something else to remember. And that gets into verses 4 and 5. Jesus does say, I, I do have this against you because you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. You started in love, and now it seems like that's not a major part of it. Remember, remember That you've fallen from there and repent and do the works you did at first. Sometimes it's easy for all of our attention to go to this place and forget, like, well, no, he's talking to a church that is enduring and he's commending them. But here he says something very, very important, and that is to remember that endurance has to stay connected to love. Remember that endurance has to stay connected to love. It's the message of the Old Testament where, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Is there a second one? Love your neighbor. Like, even the love of neighbor flows out of because you love God, love love people. It's got to stay connected. It's almost as if, like, when love is connected to endurance, it's what happens when a lamp is turned on. It's not unplugged. It's When it's plugged in, like the light comes on. The electricity flows. You're able to bear up and hold on because you love him. And if endurance is going to like be sustained, hear me, it's going to have to be sustained because of love. I mentioned before, I remember reading a book, it's called Defiant. It's about POWs and like all the terrible th- things they endured in a vietnam prison camp and all the things that the families back in the states had to endure as they were separated from their loved ones and again on every page and it's very emotional moving book especially toward the end but you hear like what motivated this endurance in one of the worst human conditions imaginable what motivated it was love love for family love for country love for like fellow soldiers Fellow airmen, it's a helpful picture. Love made them willing to endure. I wanted to give you reminders for your endurance. Remember, remember, put some things into perspective. Remember that endurance has to stay connected with love. Remember that Jesus' name was our motivation to begin with. Remember that he knows, he's aware of what's going on. But I I put this in the context of above and beyond because what I'm guessing is in the fog of what some of us are experiencing, it's hard to go, Lord, I think I'm just holding on. I can't imagine you accomplishing anything good. I just don't want to like quit my faith and I don't want to, I I don't want to just check out and make it like form and ritual. I want there to be something real, but I can't imagine you accomplishing anything great. And I just want to give you a picture because maybe you can't see it. Maybe today you can't see it, and so maybe I can paint just a couple pictures. Maybe it's a picture of you, and you have a burden for people to come to know Jesus, and you're not that good at words. You don't know how to, like, you don't have the magic words, all the answers that could really help someone you think. And so you, you go, well, all I can do is, like, hang in there. And so you do. And so you do, and people watch it, and people notice, and people pay attention, and you hang in there as you deal with all sorts of maybe big complicated things as well as normal things that are just difficult. Maybe you, you walk... With anxiety, Maybe it's like over a decade or maybe it's a couple decades and someone watches you and they watch you and they know you have, like Jesus is important to you and and they watch how you live your life. And, And maybe that is what happens. Maybe that's the catalyst, your endurance, that it wasn't just that you showed up one day on the job, but it's you've showed up for 20 years caring about them. And now they get a glimpse into that and that causes them to believe in Jesus for themselves. And I would say that may be above and beyond what you could expect right now. But your endurance will pay great, great dividends. Could be above and beyond what you have a vision for your endurance accomplishing right now. You think, I'm just trying to hang in there. What if in the grind of parenting and all that it it means, what if something clicks? And what if that faith is passed on to another generation? What if that goes to another generation and another generation and another generation? And all you're trying to do is like, I'm just trying to endure just trying to be a faithful dad, a faithful mom, faithful grandparent, faithful aunt, faithful uncle. I'm just trying trying to do my best. Doesn't seem like we're making a lot of progress, but I am in it. I love I love these kids and I want I want them to know of Jesus love and what if that faith is passed on? It just struck me last night so we were with some friends at the church and um, over at their house and I was listening as their two-year-old was singing a song we sing here, and I don't think he got all the words right, but it basically was like, who can stop the Lord Almighty? And he kept singing it again and again, and I thought, what if? What if God has a vision for that kid? Because he's in a home where those songs are sung, and in a church where loving adults teach him those kinds of songs. What if that changes something for generations and what if one day when we meet the Lord face to face there's a welcome there's a smile and there's a well done well done good and faithful servant and in that moment I think some things will click and we'll go this is above and beyond it was worth enduring it was worth enduring It was worth walking one step at a time. It was worth hanging on. You don't know everything. I don't know everything, but maybe a portion of eternity will be us just taking a look, God in his grace, because we got all the time in the world at that point, to say, let me connect some dots how your endurance here and there and there and there and there made all the difference. The story of grace and goodness that Wayne reminded us that God's writing I think it's going to have to be a story of endurance. Let me pray that God would help us see that. Lord, in the, in the midst of it all, it doesn't feel like anything is happening, much less anything good. And I know I've got friends who are beat up and worn down. And there's so much I want to do to help them, but there's just a weariness all the way around. So, thank you, Jesus, for the reminder that you walk among us. Thank you for telling us twice in this passage. I know. I know. Thank you for the reminder that this was always for your sake and not for our glory anyway. Lord, we do long for that day where we see you, where we're not just talking about things, we're not just trying to create mental pictures that will help guide our hearts, but we actually. It's become sight. And so until that day, I pray that your church, pray that we would be faithful. Help us, Lord. Help us endure. We ask all this in your name. Amen.